0: Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. If you would be taking your Bibles and turning with me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 8 this morning, beginning about verse 40. Luke eight forty. If you want to be turning over there with me as you're turning there, let me, let me pray for us as we get started this morning. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. God, I thank you that you give us an opportunity to get together like this this morning to come and to hear from you. Lord, I, I thank you that we live in a nation with, full of so many people willing to go and to serve on our behalf. Lord, I pray that you would keep them safe this morning. God, that you keep them safe as they're in harm's way. Lord, would you bless them and, and watch over them and bring them back home to us safely. Lord, I, I pray that uh, we as believers in this nation would stand for you, stand for truth, stand for the gospel, stand for the love that you offer. God, I just pray this morning that you would be honored by these services. God, that you would be honored by the time that we spend together. God, that you would be glorified by the way that we respond to your word. God, that you would move us and that you would change us and that you would make us into who you would have us to be. We need your help, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Luke chapter 8 in verse 40, as I said. uh, As we continue walking with Jesus, as we continue looking at what it looks like to walk with God... I don't know about, about y'all, this morning as, as we talk about walking needy, I, I, I was thinking this week about my response to customer service. And I, I don't know what your response is typically to customer service, but the, you know there's t- typically two different approaches that stores seem to take. The first approach is uh, you know this blanket approach. Whoever walks in, they walk up to you and say, Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, ma'am. What are you looking for? How may I help you? How can I direct you? Where would you have a, the, to send you? And then the other approach is uh, somewhat, I, I guess you could call it the Walmart shuffle, where if they realize that you may be looking for something, they shuffle on out and uh, get out of the way. But uh, And, you know, Walmart's not the only ones who do that. In fact, they have better service than other stores. But anyway, beside the point. Uh, and so you, you have these two groups, that it, and they approach you differently. Well... I respond the same way no matter what store I'm in, no matter what I'm looking for. As a, If a sales associate walks up to me and says, excuse me, may I help you find something? My answer is always, no, I'm good, I'm just looking. Now, I may be looking for something very specific and I may have no idea where this thing is, but my response is, no, nah, I'm just looking. Like I'm standing there, I'm looking for liquid plumber or whatever. I'm trying to figure out what I need and someone will come up. Hey, can I help you? No, I got this. I'm going to find it. And it's like if I stand there long enough, I'm hoping that a, that a light from heaven will shine down and shine right on the spot where I'm supposed to find the thing that I need. It never happens, but I stand there and look, regardless. Now, God in His grace has given me a wife who is not afflicted with the same amount of pride uh, and, and just ego that I have. And so when we're in the store and we're looking for something that I can't find, if she sees a sales associate walk by, she will go get that person and bring them back. She'll be like, now, John Alvin, it is okay to ask for help every now and then. You don't know everything. You don't know where everything is. And then so she teaches me this valuable lesson of humility. I, have to pin, I, I knew where it was, woman. I was just waiting to see if you did, right? But, but we have a hard time, even in a store, admitting when we have a need, when we have something that, that we need. And the same is true when it, when it comes to approaching Christ. When it comes to approaching Jesus, sometimes it's kind of hard to admit, hey, I actually need something from you. I actually need you to show me the, the way that I should go. And, and so this morning, I want us to look at two individuals in Luke chapter 8 that teach us this lesson, that teach us, first off, that we are desperate. Not only are we desperate, we're desperately needy. And then secondly, that Jesus is enough. We are desperately needy, but Jesus is enough. And we see this first as we talk about a desperate father with a dying daughter. Look in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter... About twelve years of age, and she was dying, or as good as dead. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and so Jarius, or if you're not from Arkansas, probably more likely uh, Jarius. I don't, Logos pronounces it Jarius. It's my Bible software, anyway. So it's probably Jarius, but Jarius sounds better to me. So anyway, he's a he's a synagogue ruler. Uh, His job is to schedule. Uh, local leaders to come in and speak and things like that he would have been a, a leader of the community he, he would have been a leader religiously speaking he basically was someone who led the local church now what do we know about the jewish leaders of jesus's day do they like jesus not really But here we have a man who's in charge of the local synagogue. This is the place where uh, things got done. This is the place where you make community connections, business connections, and and learned about the Bible. There's all these different things going on in the local synagogue, and this guy's important enough that he's, he's the one who rules it. He's the one who leads it. And so he's a fairly important man in this community. He's a respected man in this community. When he walks around and he speaks, people listen. But... Something is going on in his life. He doesn't seem to share the same opinion that the rest of the religious leaders share. For whatever reason, either he thinks that they're wrong and that Jesus' teaching is right, and he's like, you guys just don't know what's going on, or more likely, his desperation as he looks at his little girl dying in front of his eyes, he realizes Jesus is the only one who can help. And so he runs to the only one who can help. We don't know which one, but I'm going with the second one most likely. You see, this man's risking a lot by coming to Jesus. Socially speaking, he's risking giving up his status in the community. We know from from the other Gospels that when people began to speak good of Jesus, they were kicked out of the synagogue. What are they going to do to the guy who's the ruler of the synagogue for him coming to Jesus? And so he's not risking a small thing in coming to Jesus. And, but so you would think that he maybe would come alongside him and sort of whisper in his ear and pretend like he's not really that into him. But no, this man, he comes publicly in front of a large crowd. Luke makes it clear that it's a large crowd as Jesus, as Jairus comes to Jesus, and he doesn't come, and he doesn't come dignified, he doesn't come demanding that Jesus come with him because of his position in the community. No, he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. He comes and he begs him openly uh, to please come help. I don't, I don't know about y'all, but if I begin to beg someone, it's pretty serious. Like basically, at that point, you're saying, you know what, whatever you have is worth more than my pride and my dignity. I'm willing to lay it all down right here because I don't care who's watching because what you have is more important than what they think about me. This is Jarius at this moment. Why? Well, because he's going through the most, most terrible thing a parent can face. He's going through watching his little girl pass away in front of his eyes, which leads him to beg. He is moved to a place of desperation and and as I look at him and I look at him begging Jesus I I have to ask myself when's the last time I begged the Lord for anything when's the last time I gave up on myself and and said God I I can't do it I'm going to need you to intervene here I don't care what it looks like I don't care how humiliated I have to be I want you to work when's the last time you asked the Lord please help me When's the last time you said, God, I, I need you to work in my life for Jarius, It was watching every parent's worst nightmare. When when's the last time, spiritually speaking, we were so desperate for the Lord, we came and we begged Him to work in our lives? And so Jesus responds with, Okay, let's go. And as He's going, there's this huge crowd that goes with them. But then we come to verse 43. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Verse 44 says, She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And so first we have this desperate father with a dying daughter. And here we have this desperate daughter in need of a good father. And so Luke describes her as a a person who has this this female issue, this problem that has gone on for 12 years. This would have been an issue that's very embarrassing in this culture. Uh, It's something that would have separated her from her family and friends. She would have been ostracized, outcast, um, unclean. It would have been illegal for her to touch anyone and for anyone to touch her. If you did, you were considered unclean and you wouldn't have been able to get in the temple to go to church or any of those things. Like you're completely separated from the community. When people look at you, they look down on you. You're unclean and unwanted. This is this lady. Not to mention the physical pain and discomfort that comes along with the condition she has. You add all of this to the torment she faces at the doctor's. Think about 12 years of diagnoses, 12 years of ancient medical remedies being forced upon you as you give them every last dime you have to try and fix you. For as long as the little girl who was dying has been alive and bringing joy to her family, this woman has been in pain and as good as dead. Luke tells us here that no matter how hard she tried, there's nothing that anyone could do for her. She has spent everything she has, and at this point she's without hope. But then she hears about a man named Jesus coming through. She sees this huge crowd coming with him. She hears about the healings that he has done, and she decides in her desperation that she's going to get close enough, just close enough to touch the edge of his robe or his garment, whatever it is. And and, and so you could just picture her sort of elbowing her way through the crowd as Jesus is walking along and there's so many people around him that you can't get to him. And so she's elbowing around, touching everyone, right, against the law, but she's doing it anyway. And she gets just close enough to reach her hand out just to barely touch the edge of his garment. And immediately she's healed. Can you imagine the joy she must have felt at that moment? Like she's been struggling with the same issue for 12 years. People have looked down on her for 12 years. She's been uh, outcast for 12 years. She's been in pain for 12 years. And she touches Jesus and immediately she's better. Man, finally everything is right in the world, right? And then something terrible happens. Look at verse 45, at least from her mind. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds around you and are pressing in on you. Verse 46 says, But Jesus said, Someone touched me before I perceived that power has gone out from me. So she tries to slip in, touch Jesus, and get out without anybody knowing what's happened. The problem is, is Jesus knows everything. So she reaches in, she touches him she's trying to head on back out disappear into the crowd and after she touches him jesus stops says hey who touched me to which peter one of the disciples that's with him is like um everyone like they're so close together they can't move like everybody is up against each other and so he's like um you know, I would give you some personal space, but I'm kind of being squished here too, Jesus. I get it. You know, we need some room. We're kind of sticky. Like, like, no, you don't understand. Everybody's touching you. And Jesus says, um, and so you, you can just imagine the woman like, okay, so I got away with it. But then Jesus says, no, you don't understand. I felt power go out from me. I know someone touched me. And so this lady hides and doesn't say a word at least for a moment. She's hiding from Jesus. Why is she doing this? Well, can you imagine thinking, okay, so this man, I just touched the edge of his garment, healed me from something no one else has been able to do for the last 12 years, and all I did was barely touch the edge of his garment, and in doing so, I broke the Old Testament law of not touching anyone in my uncleanness, and I made him unclean. If that happened by me just touching his clothes, what's he going to do to me on purpose? How's he going to punish me? You can imagine... Her fear of being disregarded and just basically uh, thrown to the side by Jesus just like everybody else had done with her. You can imagine her wanting to hide back in shame, not wanting everyone to know what she had been healed from. You can imagine her, her anxiousness as Jesus is looking for the person who has touched him. She's hiding in fear and embarrassment. And I mean, who can blame her? Who can blame her for being afraid of everybody finding her out? But verse 47, Jesus doesn't quit. And when Jesus saw that she was not hidden, or when she saw, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been healed, uh, immediately healed. And so when it, says, it says here that when she saw that she was not hidden, So picture, as Jesus is saying, who touched me? Him looking around at everybody in the eyes. And then his eyes meet her eyes. And he doesn't stop looking. He's like, I know someone touched me. I know I felt power go out from me. And so she's like, wait. So he actually knows it was me. So I might as well come clean. It says here, when she knew she was not hidden, she understands that he knows that it was her. And so she comes forward and she tells everyone there, all that had gone on. She says, listen, for 12 years I'd struggled with this and I came and I barely touched the edge of Jesus' garment and I was healed immediately. I was set free. He did this uh, immediately. And so Jesus gives a response in verse 48. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He publicly affirms her. This desperate daughter in need of a father has this good, good father. He says, listen, you're not alone. You're not an outcast. You're part of God's family. I receive you. I accept you, Jesus says to her. You're not rejected. You're not unclean anymore. You're not alone anymore. You're not hidden anymore. You're set free from your physical problem. And what's more, you are set free from your spiritual problem. Go in peace. Your faith has made you well. Your trust in Jesus has made you well. Go with God's smile on you. And so this woman who had been terrified of what Jesus may say and what Jesus may do and what people may think walks away affirmed as a daughter of the king. She comes in unknown and unclean and she leaves as as a sparkling princess. When we come to verse 49, while he was still speaking, Someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. In the middle of all this, we've almost forgotten where Jesus was going. We've almost forgotten that a man was watching his daughter die, and he runs to Jesus and says, Please, you've got to help. Please, you've got to intervene. Please, you've got to do something here. Please, you've got to heal my daughter. And in the middle of going to heal his daughter, Jesus stops and talks to an outcast to someone who's not dying, to someone who's simply sick, who he could have circled back around and helped. And and in fact, he does help, and he could have just kept walking instead of having a conversation with her, but instead, he stops and he has a conversation with her to remind her that she has a good father. And so this desperate father loses his only daughter while Jesus is speaking to this woman, calling her his daughter. I mean, what's up with that, Jesus? My little girl is about to die. And here you are dealing with this lady. Can you imagine the emotions Darius must have felt at that moment? How mad he must have been. How grief stricken he must have been. How disappointed he must have been. I mean, what, what could you do? But then look at verse 50. Jesus isn't done. But Jesus on hearing this answered him, do not fear. Only believe she will be well. And so in the middle of all this, he says, listen, don't be discouraged, just trust me. Depend on me and everything's going to be alright. But but Jesus, that's kind of hard to do, right? I mean, your timing is not my timing. What's going on here? I've just heard the worst news I could have ever heard. What do you mean it's going to be okay? What do you mean it's going to be well? Look at verse 51. And when he came to the house, the, the house where this young girl was, He allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. And so the the girl has passed away. That They would not call in mourners and do all these things that they were doing unless she was actually uh, gone, unless she had actually died. And so she is for sure gone. And so Jesus walks in and he says, Hey, uh, don't worry about it. She's only sleeping. He uses a term that we see again in the the New Testament a couple of different places to refer to the fact that for those who die in Christ, it's a temporary situation, not a permanent one. This is simply a resting moment for her. He says, don't worry, y'all stop uh, weeping. It's all going to be okay. But what do they do? Well, they laugh in his face. They make fun of him. You are crazy. No one can take care of what is wrong with her at this point. You know, sometimes people laugh at at believers, they laugh at those who follow Jesus because we pray and we ask the Lord to help us and to strengthen us. And He's like, why are you praying? What good is it going to do? What protection do you really get? Well, the answer is there's a lot of protection, right? Look at at verse 54. This is what Jesus ultimately uh, has to offer. But taking her by the hand, He called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And He directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. We will all experience something similar, not the same because this little girl comes back to her old body, but we will experience something similar to what this little girl experienced because we will all one day receive new bodies when the Lord calls us home, when he brings us home. And eventually, and finally, we won't have to worry about getting older. We won't have to worry about this body passing away because we'll finally receive a new body, a resurrected body, a perfect body. You see, the Savior who we serve this morning, God, has the power even to raise the dead. That's the power that Jesus has, and that's the power that He gives. Uh, th- think about it this way: the one that we follow, the thing that we fear the most—death, separation. Well, He defeated the grave. He defeated death. He defeated all of these things on our behalf. He destroyed them. He killed death so that we can live forever with Him. And so these parents who are grief-stricken and, and distraught receive their little child back to themselves because of what Christ offers. There's, there's a couple of different, not. I'll go, I'll go quickly, um, different applications that I, I want us to see from this passage this morning. First, I, I want us to understand that that we all find ourselves in different places in life. We all find ourselves struggling with different things. You think about Jarius. He has everything going for him. Like his greatest fear is losing what he has. He doesn't really need anything else. His greatest fear is losing the joy that his daughter has brought him. I I, I wonder this morning if some of our fear, our greatest fear is the same as Jarius. And it's a right fear to have. We should not enjoy having those whom we love taken from us. How do we deal with that? How do we walk through those times? We walk through those times the way that the Lord instructs Jairus. Have faith in me and they'll be well. If they have faith in me, everything's going to work out because uh, Jesus can bring us back from the dead. That death itself has no hold over us. Listen, listen to what Paul says in First Thessalonians. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who, uh, do who have no hope. then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. In other words, death is not victorious over those who have trusted in Christ. Death can't destroy us. Death can't separate us. Jesus brings us together for all eternity. If we trust on Christ, if our loved ones trust on Christ, there's no timetable on our relationship. Death itself can be referred to as sleeping. And so the thing that we fear the most in this world, Jesus has destroyed. Now you may be like the parents of, of Jairus who say, well, you know, your timing isn't really my timing. And I understand that. There are times when we get frustrated with the Lord for not healing people the way that we want Him to heal them. But that's between Him and Him, right? I mean, God never signs off on any calendar I send Him. He always sends them back and says, I'm going to do what I want. Uh, you're along for the ride, John. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. You're God and I'm not. But, and, and so we, we were reminded this morning that Jesus takes care of us, that we trust in him and he's going to provide these things for us. Secondly, this woman, I, I feel like some of us, we're, we're afraid of losing what we have and then some of us, we're wanting what we've never had, peace. We're wanting healing. But we're wanting it in a way to where we don't actually have to stand up in front of everybody. Or wanting it quietly. I wonder this morning if you're, if you're somewhat like this woman. Like you you have struggles and you have needs, but you really don't want to admit them out loud. This lady tried to get away with that, right? She tried to slip in, touch Jesus, and get out. I, I remember a time in my life when I was really struggling and, man, I had so many things in my life I, I didn't want to be there. Uh, but I didn't really want to stand up and admit to all these different things and I really didn't want to come forward and say I actually need Jesus in my life I, I wanted to just sort of come in sort of touch the pew and, and head on out without ever actually committing without ever actually buying in to the community of God's people and so that's what I did and it was the most miserable couple of months I've ever experienced because Jesus, Jesus God is like no John either you're in or you're out this lady tries to go in just touch Jesus and head on out And Jesus stops her and says, listen, you need to know who you are in me. You need to know what I have done for you. You need to know that it is your faith that has set you free. You need to go in peace. Otherwise, you're going to keep on struggling with it. I I imagine some of you this morning want to hide your struggles. You want to hide your pain, hide your needs that the Lord uh, is laying on your heart. You're like, "I, I really don't want to share that with anybody else. I don't want anybody else to know what I'm going through. Sometimes, guys, it's not until you admit it publicly in front of other people that you're actually set free from those things. You, did you know that's what we're for as a community of believers here? Is to share each other's burdens, to bear one another's burdens, to walk through this life together. But you can't do that if you come in and you just touch a few and head out. You actually have to commit and be a part of God's people. You have to walk together through those things. He wants to be a part. and He wants you to make that commitment out loud and publicly, not quietly, and disappear into the crowd. And then finally this morning, let me me just put it like this. We all struggle with and we all suffer from the same thing this little girl did. We were all dying. We're all as good as dead. We all had the same problem she had we're all going to die. And after we die, we will stand before the Lord. And in that moment, when we stand before Him, we will either stand before Him covered uh, in the righteousness of Christ through His death on the cross, and we'll spend eternity with Him, or we'll stand before Him covered with our sins, and we'll be sent to eternal hell. We will either, after we die from this world we either be called by Jesus back to life or we'll be sent by him to eternal punishment based on what we have done with him based on whether or not we've trusted him based on whether or not we've believed on him and put our faith in him where are you at this morning you're going to die that is a certainty have you put your faith in him or are you trying to make it on your own It doesn't matter how long you stand there. It doesn't matter how long you look for it. The only thing that can help you is the person of Jesus Christ. As we sing this this morning, uh, as we share together in a a song of commitment and invitation, I want you to ask yourself, have I trusted in him? Have I believed in him? Have I put my faith in him? Will you join me in prayer as we prepare to, to respond to him? Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that You give us grace for every day. Lord, I thank you that when we fail, you don't. God, that when we're faithless, you're still faithful. Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy toward us this morning. God, I pray that as we sing back to you and as we commit ourselves back to you this morning, that you would bless this time of prayer. God, that you would bless this time of commitment and this time of response to you. Lord, I I pray that you would drive down deeply into our hearts the word that you want us to hear this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand, and as you stand, we're going to sing. And as we sing, would you come and pray? Come and pray that God would work in your life this week. Come and pray that he would work in the lives of the people you work with, and your family, and your friends, those people that need him most. Would you come and pray?